Romans 9, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born, and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make of the same lump one vessel for honorable use, and another for dishonorable use. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make, his, make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in this very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, 
though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Psalter hymnals to page 94 in the back section. This is the Canons of Dort, one of the doctrinal standards of our church. And at this time, I'm going to read just Article 15. We'll look at a couple other articles as well, but right now I'm going to just read Article 15, which begins on the bottom of page 94. Canons of Dort, Head of Doctrine 1, Article 15. What peculiarly tends to illustrate and recommend to us the eternal and unmerited grace of election is the express testimony of sacred scripture, that not all, but only some are elected, while others are passed by in the eternal decree, whom God, out of his sovereign, most just, irreprehensible, and unchangeable good pleasure, has decreed to leave in the common misery into which they have willfully plunged themselves, and not to bestow upon them saving faith and the grace of conversion, but permitting them in his just judgment to follow their own ways, at last, for the declaration of his justice, to condemn and punish them for, forever, not only on account of their unbelief, but also for all their other sins. And this is the decree of reprobation, by which no means makes God the author of sin, the very thought of which is blasphemy, but declares him to be an awful, irreprehensible, and righteous judge and avenger thereof. Well, we have been studying the Word of God together, uh, focusing on the doctrines of God's grace and those doctrines of grace expressed for us in the canons of Dort. You recall, kids, I told you to think of the canons as a book, a book with five chapters in it, five, five uh, answers to five Arminian statements. And I was reminded this past week, uh, if you go in the foyer and across from the mailboxes, you can see there a picture of the Synod of Dort. Uh, you can see a picture of the Synod. The remonstrants are seated around the table in the middle. Uh, so if you want to take a look at that after church, go take a look and see what the Synod actually looked like. Uh, we began by talking about unconditional election. God's sovereign choice of who will be saved. An election not based on who we are or what we may do, but an election based simply on God's good pleasure. And I said, kids, when you think of election, think of the book of Ephesians and Ephesians chapter 1. Election starts with E, Ephesians starts with E. You think about election and Ephesians, where Ephesians 1 so clearly spells out it was simply for God's good pleasure that he chose a people to be his very own. We looked also at Acts chapter 13, verse 48, a verse we just have to know, that when the Gentiles heard the gospel, all those appointed to eternal life believed. Not an election based on foreseen faith, 
but those appointed to life then believed. This morning we're broadening our study just a bit, and I have the title of the sermon, uh, uh, the word predestination. Predestination is a more general term, uh, meaning that God ordains all that comes to pass in salvation. God ordains all that comes to pass in salvation. There are really two parts, which is why the double is there. Two parts of predestination. One of those parts is election unto life. We've talked about that. God's electing choice unto life. The other part of double predestination If God elects some unto life, there are some he does not elect. There are some that he passes by. And we call that reprobation. Kids, I talked to you in Sunday school this morning and told you I would say the word reprobation. It means those whom God has not chosen to save. And there are some that that while they will embrace election, they will eschew double predestination. The idea that God leaves some and passes them by. Uh, In many times, uh, reprobation has been mischaracterized. It makes God capricious. It, 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 It makes God a God who in eternity simply flips his coin, and if it comes up heads, you're elect, it comes up tails, reprobate, and it makes God seem completely random in what he does. Is that the double predestination that we believe in, that this church confesses? We're going to look this morning at the Word of God, particularly at Romans chapter 9, to have a better appreciation of the doctrine of reprobation, what it means for us, and how it is a comfort for the believer. I've said that um, we were talking about the canons of Dort, Um, We sometimes refer to the Canons of Dort as uh, the five points of Calvinism. You know by now that's a bad name for them, as Calvin was dead by the time the Canons were written. Uh, Because when we use the word Canons of Dort and reprobation, or Calvinism and reprobation, it tends to link this doctrine with a particular time in history. But this doctrine is a doctrine that is still held today. It is the doctrine of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It is the doctrine of J.I. Packer. It is the doctrine of Dr. Michael Scott Horton. It was the doctrine that goes back to Calvin. It goes back to Aquinas. It goes back to Augustine. The doctrine of reprobation goes back to the New Testament itself. What is Matthew 25 and Christ dividing the sheep and the goats, if not the doctrine of reprobation. Christ says to the sheep, come and enjoy the fellowship with your master. But to the goats, depart from me, I never knew you. It is a doctrine rooted in Scripture itself, a Christian doctrine, a biblical doctrine. A doctrine expressed for us in Romans chapter 9 explaining the doctrine of reprobation. Once again, from our confession, I read now from Article 14, as the doctrine of divine election is the most wise counsel of God, was declared by the prophets, by Christ himself, 
and by the apostles. And it is clearly revealed in the scriptures, both of the Old and the New Testament. So it is still to be published in due time and place in the church of God, for which it was particularly designed, provided it be done with reverence, in the spirit of discretion and piety, for the glory of God's most holy name, and for enlivening and comforting his people without vainly attempting to investigate the secret ways of the Most High. This doctrine was explained by the prophets, by the apostles, by Christ himself in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. God has always made a distinction. God has always made a distinction between those who belong to him and those who do not belong to him. We have the reference here in verse 7 of our chapter. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. You remember the story, children, the story of Abraham. How God came to Abraham and promised him he would have descendants like the sand of the sea. But there was no child being born. There was no child being born. There was no child being born. And so Abraham took matters into his own hands He had a child with his servant, Hagar, and named him Ishmael, and thought perhaps it would be through Ishmael that God would bless him. But God said, that's not the way it's going to be. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be blessed. God made a distinction, choosing Isaac, bypassing Ishmael. Isaac is the son of the promise, not Ishmael. And some might say, well, look, that... Certainly God shows Isaac because he made a promise through Isaac. Isn't that that a conditional election then? Because of a promise made earlier? Well, Paul goes on. He goes on to give us another example from the history of the Old Testament. Verse 11, excuse me, verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children, Rebekah is Isaac's wife, When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. It is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Here's the situation now. Rebekah has two sons. Twin sons, twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And even before they're born, God says, I choose you, I do not choose you. God is a God who has always made a distinction. This is nothing new. And I guess that's that's what I want to impress upon you. Reprobation is a biblical doctrine. It is not a doctrine distinctive to this local congregation. It is not a doctrine distinctive to the United Reformed Churches. It is not a doctrine distinctive to Reformed Churches or even Protestantism. It is the doctrine of Scripture. God tells us, I make a distinction. You I choose. You I do not. Not something Reformed. It's a biblical doctrine. Now, it came to expression in a certain way in the canons but a doctrine that goes back to Scripture, to Romans chapter 9 and reprobation. And kids, just like I told you last week, when you think about election, 
think of Ephesians. When you think of reprobation, think of Romans. They both start with R. And in fact, if you want something more, reprobate has nine letters in it. So nine, chapter nine, Romans nine. I have to confess though, although it is a biblical truth, confess throughout history. It is an uncomfortable truth. Particularly uncomfortable to preach. I, I almost prayed this morning that God would not bring any visitors here today. And I had to repent of that prayer. Repent of thinking that somehow preaching the truth of Scripture and reprobation is not proper for the pulpit. It is part of the truth of God's Word. So if you are visiting here this morning and you choose not to return, it may be because you don't like the color of the carpet. It may be because you don't like the character of the minister. But it may not be because you disagree with the content of the scriptures. Reprobation is a biblical truth and needs to be properly understood in the ministry of the church. There are, are, are often uh, common objections made to the doctrine of reprobation. One of the most common objections is, this doctrine's too hard for us. How do we understand reprobation? God, God choosing some and passing others by. It's too hard for us to get our brain around. There are many doctrines in Scripture that are too hard for us. The doctrine of the Trinity, that God is one God, and he exists in three persons, and each is completely God. But there are not three gods, there is one God. Who can understand that? That is too hard for me to get my brain around. How do we understand the incarnation of Christ? That though he is and remains true and eternal God, takes to himself a human nature, he is 100% God and 100% man, the God-man. Who can understand that? That is beyond me. Just because something is difficult doesn't mean we should avoid it. Probably the most common objection against uh, reprobation is the idea that it's just not fair. Reprobation is just not fair. Well, I have a difficult time dealing with the category of fairness. What is fairness? Uh, usually it means everyone is treated the same. Kids, you have a unique and special understanding of fairness. If I have in my hand seven M&Ms and I've got two kids in front of me, and I give three to one and four to the other, one of them is going to say, that's not fair. That's not fair. We have a, such a faulty concept of fairness. I would suggest, rather than talking about fairness, we use the biblical concept of justice. Is reprobation just? Or to put the question a different way, is God unjust in passing some by? That's what Paul addresses in verse 14. 
What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. God says it's not unjust. And in fact, our confession in Article, uh, Head of Doctrine 1 begins that way in Article 1. Article 1 says this, As all men are saved in Adam, lie under a curse, and are deserving of eternal death, God would have done no injustice by leaving them all to perish and delivering them over to condemnation on account of sin, according to the words of the Apostle that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held under, under God's judgment. And for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And for the wages of sin is death. God would have done no injustice in leaving man in the fallen condition in which he found himself. And I think that's part of the problem with reprobation. Is we have the wrong concept of what's going on. It is not as if Man is found in a pristine condition and God for no particular reason says, but you're going to hell and you're going to hell and you're going to hell. That is not the case. The case is we are all fallen. We all stand under God's just condemnation. And He says in His justice, you will stay there except I choose to save you. And I choose to save you. And I choose to save you. God does no injustice in leaving us in the condemnation which we have rightly earned. Reprobation and election show not only God's justice but also His mercy. His mercy in choosing any. That any would be chosen out of that fallen mass of humanity. No, we do not charge that God is unjust in election and reprobation. And the third, the third probably common objection we hear is, well, if it's God's decree, then it's not my fault. My sin is not my fault. Um, it's not my fault. I'm not responsible. And Paul addresses that as well. Verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Paul anticipates the objection. What's his answer? Verse 20. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Who are you to answer back to God? It is, I admit, not the most satisfying answer, but it is the biblical answer. Who are we to think that we can understand the eternal counsels of God? A God who has chosen from before time to elect a particular people out of a fallen mass of humanity and to leave some where they belong. Who can understand that? Who do we think we are that we can, we can get behind the mind of God into His eternal counsels? Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? I think, I think maybe part of helping us to understand election reprobation is to recognize they're not simply two sides of the same coin. The ground of election and the ground of reprobation are not the same. The ground of election 
is God's love and mercy. God mercifully chooses some. That's the ground of election. The ground of reprobation is our own sin and unbelief. God leaves us exactly where we chose to be. From Article 5 in the first head. The cause or guilt of this unbelief, as well as of all other sins, is no wise in God, but in man himself. Whereas faith in Jesus Christ and salvation through him is the free gift of God. The ground of election is God's love and mercy. The ground of reprobation is our own sin and unbelief. People say it's too difficult, it's too hard to understand. We go to a verse like verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Who can understand that? And I confess, I don't understand it either. Oh, I understand Esau I hated. I understand the one who was not part of God's promise, not part of the chosen line. I get that. What I don't understand is Jacob I loved simply for God's good pleasure to choose from a fallen mass of humanity some for salvation. It's an awful doctrine, a doctrine which fills us with awe of God, a doctrine which is beyond us, but a doctrine which not only demonstrates the justice of God, but the great mercy of God in saving any and bringing us to an eternity with Him. It is a doctrine of great comfort for the believer. If you are here this morning wondering, you know, maybe, maybe I'm reprobate. Maybe I'm one of those who God has passed by. I want to encourage you. Do not fret your election. Do not fret that perhaps you are reprobate if you are seeking God. God's grace is given to all who flee to Him. God's mercy and His love to all who call out to Him. If you, are, if you are calling out to God, don't think, oh, perhaps God just left me behind. That is evidence that His Spirit is at work within you. This doctrine, this warning is a great comfort to the believer as we reach out calling to God, Lord, save me from my sin. For God is, is merciful, is gracious, and he, he takes His people along as they reach out to Him. I look at an article in our confession like Article 16. We read there this. Those in whom a living faith in Christ, an assured confidence of soul, peace of conscience, and earnest endeavor after filial obedience, a glorying in God through Christ is not yet strongly felt, but who nevertheless make use of the means which God has appointed for working these graces in us ought not be alarmed at the mention of reprobation, nor to rank themselves among the reprobate, 
but diligently to persevere in the use of means and with ardent desires devoutly and humbly to wait for a season of richer grace. Don't despair of God's grace, but use the means God has given to us, the means of grace, the preaching of the word to remind us of God's love and mercy. If you are fearing, perhaps you're reprobate, then hear the word of God for all who call out to him, for all in whom the Holy Spirit is active. God promises salvation. Use that means. If you are concerned, come back again tonight as once again we open the means of grace and hear the preaching of God, that word of God which opens the kingdom of heaven itself, that key of the kingdom. And we glory in the grace of God. We glory in what he has done as he brings glory unto himself. Verse 22, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he's prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called. God prepares us for glory. Use the means of grace, for God will not turn a deaf ear to all who call out to him. And again, one last time from the confession in Article 16. Much less cause to be terrified by the doctrine of reprobation have they who, though they seriously desire to be turned to God, to please him only and to be delivered from the body of death, cannot yet reach that measure of holiness and faith to which they aspire, since a merciful God has promised and he will not quench a smoking flax, nor break the bruised reed. God will not quench the smoking flax, nor break the bruised reed. As we call out to him, he encourages us and he strengthens us. And if you are here this morning, confronted by your sin, recognizing that left to yourself, you are part of that fallen mass of humanity, God calls you today to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Embrace him because of God's mercy, because of God's grace, because of God's kindness, because of God's love. And know that all of his promises are true. The promise to, to be a just God, but also the promise to be a merciful God. Double predestination. Yes, God does leave those passed by who have earned their condemnation, but for all who call out, for all whom he has chosen, for all whom the Spirit is active, God promises in his love, his mercy, and his grace, an eternity with him. What a comfort for the believer. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we have spoken this morning of things that are truly beyond us. How can we understand your eternal counsels, O oh God? And we humble ourselves before you. Make us submissive, God, to your holy word and to all the truth contained therein. The truth about your love, the truth about your grace, the truth about your mercy, but also the truth about your righteousness and your justice. 
Instill in us, O God, a great sense of assurance that if we have called to you in faith, we do belong to you and will spend an eternity with you. If we have not, O God, may this word from Romans 9 warn us, warn us of a condemnation based on our unbelief and our sin. And may even that word, that means of grace, be used by you today to bring those into fellowship with you. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.